Amen, amen. Hey, grab a seat, and while you grab a seat, grab your Bible and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you need a Bible under a seat, you will find a Bible under a seat close by. Grab it, open to the table of contents, and find towards the back of that Bible this book uh, called 2 Timothy. Uh, we are in chapter 4. And while you turn there, uh, a little story. A couple weeks ago, Erica and I were up in Chicago, and as we were walking down Michigan Avenue, um, you can, you can kind of get lost in all of the stuff that's going on in Chicago, but I just remember we were walking down Michigan Avenue and there was a, a building off in the distance and the top of it was lit up in um, red and green and these Christmas colors. And I just, I was looking at the height of this building and in the midst of all the skyscrapers, I was just, I was just for a moment amazed at how in the world can we build things that reach that high into the sky? Like that's a pretty amazing feat. And I was just thinking about all of the work and all the infrastructure and all the engineering that had to go into getting a building to go that high in the sky and then stay standing. And then I began to think about like, not just, you know, and if you're a builder in here, you're an engineer, you get this in a way that I'll never understand. But I then began to start to think about, okay, If I'm that amazed with what I can see above the ground, what's the infrastructure of that thing look like with what we can't see underground? Like if we could wipe the building off the ground and if we could look down into like the depth of the hole of the foundation that allows a building to go that high in the air, we would be, I think, just as amazed at what's down in the ground holding that building up. Am I right? Like no building can go that high. Nothing can stand that long without a rock solid foundation in which it's built on. And it's a tired illustration. Anytime you talk about a foundation in life, you always go to a building and you talk about no building can stand unless the foundation is strong. But walking down Michigan Avenue in Chicago, it just hit me for the first time. That's absolutely true. Like none of these buildings stay standing without something deep down undergirding it deep down in the ground, holding it up at its foundation. Um, I bring that up because this week and the next three weeks that follow this week, um, we're preaching a a series, a four-week series on our four pillars. Um, We're preaching about the foundational pillars that this church is built on. And here's the thing. No church can be built and no church can endure and stand and have an impact to make a dent for the kingdom of Jesus Christ without some biblical foundational pillars undergirding the work that church is doing. And and, um, we want to just spend, before we uh, begin a series through the book of Acts, the last Sunday of January that we'll be in for a good amount of time, we just wanted to spend four weeks to teach on what are the foundational pillars that this church is all about. Um, Last time we've taught through this in kind of a corporate or group setting was like when this church was just a core group, it hadn't even launched yet. It's like 30 to 40 people and um, God has grown it since then. And so uh, we thought it would be good to just set aside a couple weeks to start 2018 uh, to just talk about and all get on the same page to go, what in the world are the kind of the, the, the foundational elements that our church is all about? And for some of you, uh, this might be the first time you ever hear teaching on these foundational elements. But let me, let me kind of back up and let me start right here. The first foundational element of our church church has to do with the mission that this church exists for. Um, 
We have to know why in the world we gather here every Sunday. We have to know why in the world we go to small groups. We have to know why in the world we do anything that we do as a church. We have to have a clear mission. And the mission of our church is simply this, to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Uh, Someone be bold and summarize what the Great Commission is. What's the Great Commission? Make disciples. We exist as a church to, to, don't miss the first part of that statement, to glorify God, to bring God glory. Why in the world are you still breathing and walking and coming into this place today? Why do you exist? What is the point of your life? Flat out, given to us by God, the point of our life is this, bring God glory. We exist for the glory of God. This church exists for the glory of God. What's the glory of God mean? Literally, it's to put him on display, to put him as the center of the stage and at uh, the center of the show and to shine the spotlight on him. That's the goal of our life. That's the goal of this church. And how do we do that as a church? We do that as a church as we fulfill this mission he's given us to make and to grow disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. Now, when this church was being started, we didn't sit around in a room and try to think through like, what should the mission statement of our church be? Let's think of something really catchy. We're just like, Jesus gave the church his mission. We don't have to get creative over what our mission's gonna be. Jesus gave us the mission. Let's just do what Jesus said, amen? Let's just do that. And then let's just keep doing that. Until Jesus come back, let's just do that. And that is the mission of our church. Now, um, you get this if you work um, in, in industry, you get this with any other organization. If we're gonna fulfill our mission as a church, we have to have a process in order to do that. And this is, these are those three W words you see around here all the time. What are the three W words you see around here all the time? Can someone tell me? Worship, right? First one, what's the second one? Walk, what's the third one? We wanna see Every follower of Jesus, we believe every follower of Jesus will be living out these three W's, to worship, to walk, and to work. And so um, a family in our community who begins to attend Harvest, who may not yet know Jesus Christ as their savior, may not have any idea what it means to follow Jesus. When they start to come to Harvest, we wanna teach them what it means to know Jesus, to become a worshiper of this Jesus, then what it means for them to walk with Jesus, both personally building disciplines in their life for a personal walk together in a small group, what it means to walk together. And then we want to teach them that following Jesus means we roll up our sleeves and we begin to get to work for the things that will build the kingdom. And this is the process we have put in place as a church, this worship, walk, and work. And now I want you to see that all of this work that goes on to fulfill the goal of making disciples with the process we have in place, it is built on four foundational pillars. These pillars can never change. Everyone say never. Never. Like the process, some of the programs that we have as a church, all that, that stuff could change over time. The, the pillars, this is what, as we study the word of God, we just believe God says, listen, it's really pretty simple. If you will be a church committed to these things, I'll bless that. I'll get behind that. I'll further that work. And these four pillars of the, the unapologetic preaching the unashamed worship, 
the unceasing prayer, the unafraid witness. This is what we're taking four weeks to unpack. What in the world does it mean for us to be a four-pillar church? This Sunday, we look at the first pillar, unapologetic preaching. Yes, I'm preaching a message on preaching. And y'all are pumped for that. And you're like, the next 30 minutes are gonna be the most riveting teaching I've ever heard in my life. Let me tell you why I believe it could be. Um, from the time I was a baby, I grew up in the church. I went to church every Sunday. Um, my um, granddaddy and grandma went to church every Sunday. My mom and my dad went to church every Sunday. We, listen, the Graham fam in West Michigan know how to go, we knew how to go to church, okay? You, do, you know, you went to the church where you do the Sunday morning thing, the Sunday night thing, the Wednesday night thing. We knew how to go to church. And, you know, if mom and dad and the whole family were lined up here, we'd be honest, much of that was just the going through the motions. From the time I was born to 14, 15 years old, we were in some churches. And then about 14, 15 years old, I've told you all this before, but my dad, my mom, they made a decision to lead our church to a church in Grand Rapids, Michigan called Ada Bible Church. And it was at Ada Bible Church that um, we began as a family to sit under this weekly teaching that taught us what this book said. Taught us what this book said in a way that like my little 14, 15 year old Brian, I, I, I actually get that. Like I've, I knew Deuteronomy was a book in the Bible and I've read it in Sunday school, but I had no idea what it was saying. For the first time in our life, we were sitting under teaching where it's like, I get it. And then, and then we, for the first time in our life, we were sitting under teaching that it wasn't just, I get it. It was, I know how to live it. You just told me what that looks like at my locker as a ninth grader in my high school. For my dad, you just told me how this passage applies to my life as a business owner in West Michigan for the first time ever in our life. We were sitting under the exposition, the teaching of the word in a way that we could understand it, in a way that we could actually know how to live it. And it changed the trajectory of our family. Because that's what this book will do. It'll change your life. And this is why I'm going to get fired up today preaching about preaching. You're like you do every Sunday. I know. But behind being a follower of Jesus and the call to be a husband and the call to be a dad, I'm called to preach this book. And if we as a church will never deviate from this unapologetic preaching thing, I think the effects of this can radically transform your family and your life the way that we saw it do in our family. And so let's get into it today. But before I do, let me pray. Father, I recognize to start that I'm a preaching nerd and that a message on preaching is exciting for me. But Lord, um, I recognize that um, I need your spirit's help to be able to teach this in a way where every soul in here gets how this applies to their life. Lord, I pray that you would protect me from rabbit trails of just things that I'm passionate about with this. 
And Lord, I pray that you would uh, say today about this holy, sacred thing called preaching what you want to be said about it. God, I need your help. And I pray that you would lead this time. I pray that all of us would understand greatly what is happening in the moments we give up every week to come to church and to sit under preaching. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, 2. Oh, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. Uh, before I get in there, let me just give some backstory. Um, Paul is the writer of the book of 2 Timothy. He's writing to a guy by the name of Timothy. Great. He's writing to a guy by the name of Timothy, younger guy in ministry, kind of Paul, Paul's protege in ministry. Paul's been pouring into this guy. And as Paul writes, this is a letter, as Paul writes this letter to this younger man in ministry, he's telling him, here are some things about the way the household of faith, the church is to operate. And in chapter four of his second letter to Timothy, he gets to this preaching thing. And he says, I charge you, if a boss or a dad, a mentor, a discipler starts a statement like this, it's like, listen, I charge you. And not just me, I charge you in the presence of who? I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Just stop right there. Can you see Paul building the argument here? This is a big deal. Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his coming. And you're gonna stand before him one day and give an account for how you do this. Paul is building the case here. Timothy, do not tune me out here. Listen to this. This is massive. And then three words, preach the what? Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who's the one you're doing this before, who's the one you will stand before one day, who will judge the living and the dead, that you're accountable before him for this. Preach the word. What are we talking about today? It's in your notes. The what of this passage, simply three words, preach the word. What's at the heart of our unapologetic preaching pillar? It's preaching the word. Now, let me start here with just this preach word, because in our culture today, typically, typically, does the word preach have a positive connotation or a negative connotation? Negative. That guy's preaching at me. You know what I didn't like about that church? That, that preacher's too preachy. It's like, this is what we're called to do. I don't, know how to, I don't know how to preach without being preachy. Preach the word. Um, negative connotation. We don't like to be preached at in our culture. We like when people share with us. We like when they don't tell us anything we don't want to hear. This idea of preach, it, it paints a picture. It's, it's the idea of a herald. Uh, preaching is this, it's to herald. It is literally this idea. It's the idea of a herald taking the king's message and going down to the street corner and saying, hear ye, hear ye, the king has spoken. Listen. 
That is the idea of preaching. Preaching is to herald. It's to take the king's message and to go down to the street corner and the herald, the king's herald, he didn't care like what the people thought of the message. He didn't care whether like, well, they like hearing this or not. He's like, listen, the king has a message. He sent me down to the corner. My job is simply this, to faithfully and accurately say the message the king has already said. This is why folks listen to this. In a culture that loves to elevate preachers because they stand up on a stage once a week and the preacher is nothing. You can amen that. The preacher is nothing. The preacher is simply a messenger who goes down to the street corner and goes, here's the message of the king. Look at him. Isn't he awesome? The message and the king are everything. And all a preacher is supposed to do is to say what the king has said and the king has spoken and he's given us his word and it'll change our life if we will just get up and we will just say what he says. And this is why it tells us what to preach. Preach the what? Preach the word. Preach this. Why? Why do we preach this? We preach this because the word of God is living and it is active and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God is a spiritual tool that works on our heart the way that your word and my word cannot do. And when we fade away from preaching anything but this word, we're not making the spiritual impact that God has called us to make. Uh, and, and sometimes I hear this, so no, no, you should preach the word to believers. Once someone has come to know Jesus, then you should preach the word to them. But before they have come to know Jesus, you should not preach the word. You should just lean on maybe more apologetic arguments or more um, kind of cultural wisdom. Um, baloney. That's theological for, I don't buy it. The word of God says this, faith comes through hearing and hearing by the what? By the word of Christ. Preach the word before people know Jesus and the Lord will use it to lead them to Jesus. Preach the word once people know Jesus and the Lord will use it to grow them in their walk with Jesus. Now, here's the deal. There's three kind of, and there's more than this, but I've boiled it down to these three. Three, what I'm calling, three glory robbing fake substitutes for preaching that's happening in our culture. Number one is this. The speaker sharing his five ideas to your best life now. Like, would you please just stroll the aisles at Barnes and Noble? And just look, here are my five ideas to your best life now. I love you and Jesus, I love you, but I don't care. I don't care about your five ideas to my best marriage now. I don't care about your three ideas to win the day with my kids. I don't care. Tell me what God says are his ideas about marriage. And tell me what God says about his idea of what's best parenting. And tell me what God says are the principles for my life. Can I get an amen to this? And instead, what we're going is we have so many um, 
so many people who've been called by the Lord to stand up and to herald this thing, and yet they're spending all their week trying to go, what should I say on Sunday? What should I say on Sunday? What should I say on Sunday? Oh, let me come up with these really cool little things. No, just get up here and say this. Number two, three glory-robbing fake substitutes for preaching apologizing, and then text twisting. What do I mean by that? Uh, Eric and I are at a, a, a wedding a couple of years ago, a wedding for a friend of mine from high school. And um, the pastor was up and he was giving the, the message and giving the challenge to the husband and wife. And he turned to Ephesians 5 and I'm like, yeah, that's like the cornerstone passage at a wedding, go there, challenge the husband, challenge the wife of what God calls this greater picture of marriage to be. And he challenges the husband. He's like, love your wife. Like Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it. You love, and I'm like, preach it, man. And then he gets to the wife and in Ephesians chapter five, if you haven't read it, it says, and wife, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for this is right. And he goes, now, Paul doesn't really mean wives have to submit to their husbands. The thought I heard next to me was my wife's jaw hitting the pew. I'm like, stop, everyone can see you, stop. (laughs) Paul doesn't mean wives have to submit to their husbands. And then he went on to apologize for all the people who actually taught that that's what it says, because in the word it says, wives submit to your husbands. And then he went on to twist the text to say something that it doesn't even say. And listen to me, I get it. I get it. I get the temptation. When we're walking through the life of David as a church and I get to the passage on David's um, son raping his half-sister. I wasn't like, yay, I get to preach on that. And I had people come up to me after, they're like, I can't believe you preached on that. And I'm like, I can't either. (laughs) But it's there. It's there. And we got to deal with it. And this is why as a church, we've made a decision to, for the majority of every year, preach in an expository, what do I mean by expository? Verse by verse through a book of the Bible that when I, (laughs) I remember the first time learning this lesson, we were walking through uh, the Sermon on the Mount and um, it was uh, Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day fell on a Sunday. Okay, got it? Everyone's coming in, Valentine's Day is on their mind. We were walking through the Sermon on the Mount and for Valentine, the scheduled preaching for Valentine's Day was Jesus teaching on divorce and adultery on Valentine's Day. Who, if anyone, was that your first Sunday? Anyone, that was your first Sunday. Yes, and you came back. And I remember that Monday with Valentine's Day coming, I just walked up for, it was just DJ and I in a little office over on Emerson. And I walked into his office. I was like, bro, okay, here's the deal. I'm scheduled to preach Jesus teaching on divorce and adultery. Sunday's Valentine's Day. And in a way that Jesus, uh, uh, DJ, not Jesus, DJ, in a way that DJ can only do it like with a smile on his face and very gently, but very firmly, like get your butt back in there. Next text up, let's go. And 
we, God has not given us the authority to twist his word to say whatever we want it to say, and we don't have to apologize for it. It's gonna be uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for me. You know, often in an uncomfortable week, people come up to me like, man, like you slammed us over the face with a two by four this week, man. And I'm like, no, no, no. The word of God slammed you over the, by, over the face with a two by four. And guess what? I had to be in it all week long. It was just like, boom, 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 boom. I need it though. I need it. We apologize and then we twist text. Thirdly, three glory robbing fake substitutes for preaching. We're, we're performing shows instead of preaching the word. You know, I read, I read about preaching because it's my love. I love it. It's like, yeah, and then this guy, he like came into the service on like a zip line and he like dropped into the pulpit. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm all for good and helpful illustrations. You know, we had tables on. I'm all for visual illustrations that help us teach the word. But listen, we don't need to perform shows when God has just said, preach the word. If people want a show, frankly, we're not the best show in town anyway. Send them down to Cirque du Soleil. We saw Trans-Siberian Orchestra this year. It was fantastic. God has not called us to put on shows. He's called us to proclaim and herald his word. And if we will do this, he will change lives through it. And I get the temptation for us to not want that because sometimes preaching the word is uncomfortable. But go on in verse two, preach the word. Then he says, be ready in season and out of season. What in the world does this mean? This is always kind of odd in this verse. What does it mean to be ready in season and out of season? Here, something maybe is a little helpful. Think of how we refer to things in our day uh, being in season or out of season. Let me give you an example. Um, If you rented a cottage on Lake Michigan in July, uh, this is kind of the view you're going to get. Are you going to pay a small amount for that or a, a large amount for that? You're going to pay a large amount for that. A cottage on Lake Michigan in July is not going to run you cheap. Now, a cottage on Lake Michigan in January, though it's beautiful, are you going to pay more or less than in July? You're going to pay less. It's, it's out of season. Renting a cottage on Lake Michigan in, in January, it's out of season. It's not the prime vacation season. It is less popular for people to, to rent a cottage on Lake Michigan in January because it's out of season. This is what Paul is saying. Preach the word, preach the word in season when it's popular when it's going to go well with the person preaching it, when the people want to hear what the word says, preach it in season and then preach it what? Out of season. Stand up and preach that word when it won't go well with you for preaching it. When you'll be ridiculed and criticized for it, when people don't wanna hear it, stand up and proclaim this word. What? Preach the word when on your notes all the time. All the time. We preach the word all the time, in season, out of season, popular or not. We just stand up and we herald this word that God has called us to herald. 
Now, the question for us is, are we in season or out of season in our current culture of preaching the word? Is it popular or unpopular? Mostly unpopular. And now um, here's the deal. It will become increasingly less popular to just get up and to say what God has said in his word. And I'm not saying in a harsh way, I'm saying in a loving way, but it will, be, it will become increasingly less popular. And um, well, I'll get there as we go on. Uh, go on though, back to verse two. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. And then three words here, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. So the what we're talking about, preach the word, the when all the time, the why, here's the why, to transform lives. Why do we preach the word? We preach the word to see lives transformed to the glory of God. There is one simple goal of the preaching act. And the goal of preaching is simply this, to transform us to look more like Christ. And there's three words that Paul uses when he's talking to Timothy about preaching. He, uh, the three words, the first word, what's the first R word? What is it in your Bible? Get your heads down. What is it? Reprove. Um, he said, when you're preaching, there is gonna be times you need to reprove people. Reprove is this, idea, this gentle correction. This, 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 uh, Hey, I know you're, you might not know this yet, Rick, but when you, when you walk down this, let me tell you what God has to say. And this is very gentle reproof. And then next R word is what? That gets a little firmer. And that's okay, right? A good parent will what? They'll rebuke us. A good, a good boss, a good authority figure in our life, they'll rebuke us at times. A rebuke is a, is, a, is a more firm. It is less about, hey, um, you know what you needed to do in this. And you know what God calls you to in this. And now you're deliberately continuing to walk in a manner that is away from what God has said. And it's a, it's a rebuke. And Paul says there are times and when we preach the word that we need to rebuke. But well, then what's the third word? It's ex exhort. It's this, it's this encourage, it's this spur you on. Hey man, you're doing well. Keep at it. That the preaching act as we preach God's word, it should reprove and it should rebuke and it should exhort, it should spur on, it should encourage towards following more after what God has prescribed for us to follow after. What? Preach the word. When? All the time. Why? To transform lives. Now let's get to the how into verse two. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. How are we to preach the word with complete patience and teaching? How many of you can think of a time in your life where you were learning something? You were being trained in a class, you had a coach, you're being trained in your job. And how many of you can think of, of the, the harsh trainer, the harsh teacher, the harsh coach, who every time you screw up, it was just hands in the air and shaking their head and rolling their eyes. How do you not get this? I've showed it to you once. You should know. We know that. And then we can all think of the teachers and the coaches, the people who trained us in our job who were gentle. Hey, you'll get it. 
Listen, do you know how long it took me to get this? You'll get it. It's okay. Keep on. This is biblical preaching should have a tone about it. And just I'll confess to you as your pastor, I'm not always good at that tone. Like one of my greatest preaching feedbacks as I have got people speak into it, they're like, hey, work on like the shepherd tone. I'm like, got it. I got like exhorter tone down, nailed that, A plus. The shepherd tone, the patience, the teaching, this idea of teaching here, this instructing people gently on what God says. When you reprove, do it with patience and teaching. When you rebuke, do it with patience and teaching. When you exhort, do it with patience and teaching. This is how it's to be preached. Now think about the amazing power of the word of God. How many verses have we been through right there? How many verses? Two verses. Two verses that we've unpacked in about 30 minutes that we could spend so much longer unpacking. This is the power in drilling down and digging out the depth of the word of God. Now, um, go on here because this is really important. Verse three, we're coming to the home stretch. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul warns Timothy, hey, listen, a, a time is coming. And let me add, I think that time has come in a lot of ways. When people, they'll go, I don't want to hear that. I don't, I don't want to hear that. And what they, what they will do is they will gather around them teachers. It says like, like itching ears. Picture a scratching behind a dog's ear. And if you stop, your dog kind of paws at you. Like, keep going, don't stop. This is the picture here. They will gather around them teachers who just tell them what they want to hear. And now... This isn't new. Centuries and centuries before this was written, look at what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 30. It says, for they are rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to what? Unwilling to what? To hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not, prophet do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions, leave the way, turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. It's been a problem in the past. It's a problem today. It'll be a problem ongoing. But listen, our church, we have a problem if we ever deviate from this preach the word thing. Anyone else agree with that? Okay. We have a problem if we ever deviate from this preach the word thing. It's not going to be popular. Do you know that Harvest Bible Chapel? Do you know what they believe about that? That's so archaic. That's so ancient. Don't they know it's like 2018? We, we get that, right? And we don't have to reply to those things with like, yeah, you want to go toe-to-toe -to -toe about that? No, 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 no. We live out in love the doctrine we hold to. We live out in love the truth we hold on to. But we can never deviate from this unapologetic preaching pillar. Uh, but none of you are preachers, right? Some of you are. 
And we wanna see God raise up more and more preachers out of this congregation. So you're like, what in the world does this have to do with me? Your role in the preaching ministry of our church. Your role in the preaching ministry of our church. Number one is this, pray for the preaching. I will give an amen to that. Pray for the preaching. Charles Spurgeon, called the prince of preachers throughout history. Um, Maybe, maybe there's some other people in this category, but maybe the most influential preacher other than Jesus who has lived. Um, Someone came up and said, hey, what's the secret to the power in your preaching? You know his response? The people pray for me. Praying packs power into the preaching. And so here's the deal. I send out a, uh, uh, to a group of people who have said, like, I want on that. I send out every week a short note that just says, here's what I'm preaching on Sunday. Here's what Pastor Joe's preaching on Sunday. Here's what Pastor Corey's preaching on Sunday. Here's whoever's preaching. Here's what they're preaching. Will you pray about these things this week? If you want on that list, email me, Brock at harvestindysouth.org. Brock at harvestindysouth.org. We would love to increase the army of people praying all week for what's going to be preached. Right next to us is a prayer room. This room is heavily populated on Sunday. That room, not so much. And I get it, prayer's hard work. And it's like, we go in there and you're like, okay, I prayed. About 30 seconds in, what do I do now? We would love to see that become the furnace to the factory. That become the room that powers everything that happens in this place all day long. We would love to see people in that room from the moment this building is open to the morning, the moment this last soul walks out of this place, praying, interceding, calling on the Lord. Pray, pray, pray. Because here's the deal. Preaching is a spiritual act. The Holy Spirit uses his word as it's proclaimed. We have to be calling out in prayer for this. Number two, be in the word all week long. It's good, it's good if we get up and we exercise on a Sunday and then we don't all week long and then we get up the next Sunday and we go for another run. That's good, that's okay. It's better if we exercise on Sunday and then we exercise a little on Monday and then a little on Tuesday and a little on Wednesday and a little on Thursday. The word is the same way. If the only way that you're getting the word in your life is the 40 minutes we preach it on on Sunday, um, it's good, it's not best. Create an unhurried rhythm in your every day to camp out in this word, to study it for yourselves. If you're like, I have no idea where to begin, that's our job to help you with that. Let us know. We'd love to put someone alongside of you who can walk with you in the word, but be in this word all week long. Number three, and I'm passionate about this, prepare your heart for Sunday. Prepare your heart for Sunday. On Saturday night, begin to start thinking, begin to start praying. Walk into this place expecting to hear from the Lord. Um, um, I love you, I love you, okay. If you've been around here, you know what's coming after I love you. Get here on time. Like the first two worship songs aren't just like the warm up or the exhibition game for the real game. There's a whole thought process and structure that goes to taking our hearts from horizontal to vertical. Get here on time. Get, this will blow your mind. Get here early. What? 
early? Is this guy crazy? Fellowship with the people. Get in here a couple minutes early. Pray this prayer. Lord, will you help me to prepare my heart to receive whatever it is you want me to hear today? And then when God gives it to you, Walk out of here and meditate on it. Watch out for the danger zone of preaching. Watch out for the danger zone of just being a church person. You don't know, know, know what the danger zone is? You're used to going to church. So you go to church, you're like, that was great, or that was boring, or that was whatever. And, that was, and we then critique the sermon, and then we go to lunch, and then we flip on the Colts, and then we take a nap. And by the time 6 p.m. on Sunday night rolls around, we're like, I don't even remember what was preached on on Sunday. Take the one thing, the two things God put on your heart, write it down, keep it in a journal, come back to it all week long, meditate on those things. One verse that God used from the passage, write it down, go back to it all week long, meditate on it. But this isn't just a Sunday thing. This is an all week thing. Church, stand with me right now. I'm dismissing us today, but I want you to, I want you to hear this as I dismiss you today. We will rob God of the glory he rightfully deserves as a church if we ever deviate from this unapologetic preaching pillar. He has called us flat out to be a church and to be a people that are about proclaiming his word. And as a church, just a question for you, and I'd love for you to respond. Will you stay committed to that with us for the years and years and years to come, will you? Let's not deviate from it. Let's see what God can do through a group of people in a community who will hold to his word, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's not popular, even when it rages against what culture teaches on that subject. Let's see what God will do by the power of his spirit through a people committed to his word. Father, I pray that for us. Would we preach the word in season and out of season? Would, it, would we let it reprove and rebuke and exhort? And Lord, would we do it with complete patience and teaching so that your name may be known in all of this community and all the earth and your living and active word would transform lives and families and neighborhoods and communities and cities and countries and the world. Because Lord, your word is something that you've told us to feast on. You've said that your word is the bread that we are to eat. Lord, we are malnourished without it. We need to hear it every day. We need to hear it proclaimed and preached every week. And so God, would you use your word in power in our heart? And would we never get off this train of just getting up, standing up here, whoever it is, the messenger is nothing. The message is everything and saying what you say till you come back. That's our prayer. We love you in Jesus name. Amen. Harvest. Happy new year. We'll see you next Sunday. And your love.